everybody, and welcome back to Puck University. I'm your host, Tim Williams, joined from the Boston area by Chris Lynch of InsideHockey.com, our New England correspondent here on Puck University. We're going to get right into it. It's, it's well, we have started the season. Everyone but the Ivies are going now, and the season is well underway, but Sometimes with hockey, it it's hard to take when the wrong hit is delivered in the wrong way. And really, I think the first headline to get into this week, because we have to talk about this to some degree, is what happened in the game between Quinnipiac and Connecticut. Chris, you saw the clip before I did. You've been looking at this for a few days. Take people through the moment. Yeah, and this is a game that I wasn't able to get to. I had uh, some other uh, business to take care of. I had some other things to do. Uh, But it would have been really interesting to get to see it live and see the immediate reaction. But so the the way it happened was as a freshman playing for UConn named Ruslan uh, Iskakov. Uh, His name is spelled I-S-K-H-A-K-O-V. Now he is a he's a really really talented player, high skill. He was a 43rd overall pick in the most recent NHL draft by the Islanders. That's a second round pick, highlight reel caliber goal and an assist in uh, UConn's first win of the season, uh, first game of the season over Army, which was uh, this past weekend. He's a really skilled player, a really really talented. A uh, piece of a team that I think could make some waves in Hockey East. And they were at Quinnipiac, and that's an in-state rivalry. And those two teams, uh, to the best of my knowledge, I don't remember any other particularly dirty hits. But I also don't remember any... Uh, I also don't remember... Uh, uh, any real positivity between these two teams. They are in-state rivals, and they haven't always gotten along with each other. Anyway, so uh, so uh, Iskakov was taking the puck. He crossed the blue line, and he got decked by Brogan Rafferty. And this is a play in which Iskakov had his head down, crossed the blue line, and got decked, cutting to his left. Rafferty was thrown out of the game, and Iskakov was hospitalized. He was taken off the ice and stretchered out. There is some good news. Uh, his tests were normal, and he's back on campus and doing well. He, at least for right now, is going to be game to game, but uh, it's one of those moments you just look at it and think, oh, boy, I could kind of understand why some parents might be a little hesitant to let their kids play this sport. It, it wasn't great. There is a right way and there is a wrong way to play hockey. Now, I'll admit, I just saw this clip right before we started recording. You made me aware of it, and we really do have to talk about it. So I went and looked it up, and, you know, it it just – there was a kind of person, and there really still is a kind of person that looks at hockey and enjoys it specifically for the violence, but that's not how you look at hockey. The hits are the hits when they're delivered right are a lot of fun to watch. And when every everyone's on the level, it's a lot of fun. But we end every podcast here with keep your head up and your hits clean. And the second part is much more important. 
play hockey the right way because you see what's happening in football. For the future of the game, for the good of the game, just play hockey the right way. It doesn't need any added oomph. Don't do things like this. Um, if you're going to go watch this clip, brace yourself before you watch it. It is, it's really hard to watch. This is not how hockey should be played. Well, worth noting that the guy who hit him, Brogan Rafferty, he's 23, he's six feet. He, he's a veteran player in college hockey. He doesn't have a history of, uh, of dirty hits. He doesn't have a record of levying these kind of things. He's played 79 career games before Tuesday, and he just served 40, 4-0 minutes and penalties across 79 games uh, before Tuesday's game. That's a really small number. So my guess is that this is one of those times where I don't think you can attribute any malice or any intentional like he was trying to hurt him. I think it was a um, – uh, Iskakov is a really speedy player who – cut cut one way and Iskakov is not a big player by any stretch of the imagination uh, he's oh my god he's uh, he's 18 he's from Moscow uh, he's 5'7 and 165 he is tiny he's he is not a big player in any stretch Rafferty six even a buck ninety five, which isn't a giant, but that's uh, that's a that's almost half a foot and a clean twenty pound advantage. You've got to know a little bit better where your weight is going. So you cannot at all attribute malice on that play. And I hope that Rafferty uh, isn't too hard or too harsh on himself. He's a junior on a Quinnipiac team that is a defensive-heavy uh, roster. So um, I think uh, – I didn't see it live, but I think that this is just one of those points where, you know, stuff can get away from you in the middle of a game, and uh, stuff can happen, and uh, it can boil over. And it's sad when it does, and this is a UConn team that struggled to get shots in that game. They're outshot 28-13, to 13, so Iskikov probably was just looking for a way to create some offense, and Rafferty looking for a way to, uh, to prevent it. That's just what I could see from the context of the game itself, for whatever it's worth. Yeah, I will, I will agree to that. It doesn't look like there was any intent to injure on that hit, and it looks like the kind of hit you see this in hockey – you know, probably a little too often where a hit like that gets delivered and the player who delivered it looks as shaken as the teammates that are gathered around the injured player that took the hit because they don't want to hurt people. If if you wanted to hurt people, you would not be at this level. You would not have gotten this far, I don't think, anyway. I don't think that kind of stuff really happens in college hockey. So it, it is tough on the players that deliver those hits as well. The If there is a silver lining to something like this, besides that Iskakov seems to be, he seems to be better after that hit than we would have thought just watching him on the ice. But there's a teachable moment in this. There, This is kind of an accidental thing. You 
can just learn from this and it could make it could make the player who delivered the hit better in the long run for having having learned this unfortunately the hard way it's possible i definitely see uh i definitely see uh, rand pecknold taking him aside and uh letting him know about uh the way that he uh the way that he should uh react to it afterwards uh that happened for timing in the game it was three minutes 24 seconds into the third period and at that point uh uh yukon was trailing uh three to one for whatever it's worth rafferty was awarded a five minute major on charging and was ejected with a 10 minute game misconduct so if you're concerned about uh any potential for uh no majors to be issued or for discipline to be rained down on hits like this relax uh there definitely was discipline uh levied down after this hit so that's at least a good thing that uh, the system is working you don't want it to boil over but it's like our legal system you don't want any crime to happen but if it does happen there's a system to follow it through likewise in hockey there were penalties issued on this. And it, it wasn't a particularly penalty-filled game. Like, this wasn't, at least at a uh, at an initial glance, this wasn't an overly physical game. Three penalties in the first, two periods in the second, and excluding the two issued against Rafferty, there are only two in the third. So this doesn't look like a an overly physical game. I think this is just a blip of hockey being more speed and skill and less rock'em sock'em robots, which is probably a good thing for hockey that it still can have the physical aspect, but it's not the dominating force that drives the action of the game. And I would say that in general, college hockey does a good job of policing these hits and making sure that when they do happen, because sometimes these things just do happen, unfortunately, that it's discouraged in a way that a player would think twice when they have in the moment um, about delivering those kind of a hits because college hockey just isn't having it. They're not trying to draw people to the arena that way. That's not hockey the way that they see it. So they do a good job of that and they don't take it too far where there are still, you're still able to deliver a hit when it's done the right way. But when you cross that line, they they do crack down on that, and I'd say that's overall a good thing, and I think they do a good job of it. I'll agree with that. I just hope that Rafferty will uh, uh, watch the uh, – will be a little bit more careful with his hits, and I'm pretty sure that he's playing the uh, it's not your fault scene from Goodwill Hunting a whole bunch of times to help him uh, to help him cope with it for whatever bit of, bit of it was. It's a guy, it's a difference of half a foot of a six even guy going up against a five seven guy who probably just didn't check where his elbows were going because guy's a lot shorter and he cut across the ice in maybe a way that he wasn't expecting, but he decked him. And I mean, UConn, if we can pivot this back towards any bit of hockey stuff, it's possible that UConn could take this and rally around it for their guy. And uh, hopefully Iskakov can come back and play pretty well. And you just hope that uh, like Johnny Evans, Ben Freeman, and Carter Turnbull can uh, can you know 
find some more ice time and learn to create some more offensive opportunities for themselves because Iskakov is going to be out for a bit and he's not going to be playing. I don't know how long he'll be out. It seemed, it does sound like he uh, is a bit better than what you'd expect after a hit like that, but uh, this is going to be a game-to-game thing, so he's definitely going to miss their next game uh, against Providence in Providence on Friday. So I think it's safe to say that UConn, you, some of UConn's forwards will actually get an opportunity to uh, to see some more ice time for whatever it's worth out of all of this. We just hope that Iskakov comes back soon. And staying on a hockey note with it, I really do like what UConn's doing with their program. I think Mike Cavanaugh has them in the right direction. The ice bus, as they might say down there, is on the right road. They recruit very well. They remind me a lot of what people keep saying about the UMass Amherst program, the Minutemen and how they're on the rise and how they have the right coach and the right recruiting. I think a lot of that is also true in stores, although they do play their games in Hartford. And I think that the Huskies are also a program on the rise and it could make, it could make for an even more fun conference. We talk about the depth of hockey East. I think they're one of the schools that really contribute to it. Well, the difference is that I think that there is a point of comparison to be made, but Amherst has one advantage over UConn right now, and that's the fact that Kale McCarr is a top-tier talent who will contend for the Hobie Baker Award, and UConn doesn't quite have a talent that can contend with that. And uh, I don't know exactly how... Uh, Amherst was able to recruit him because he was committed. McCarr was committed to go to Amherst before Greg Carvel became the head coach. So he was committed to John Michalek and still ended up being the fourth overall draft pick at a time when uh, UMass was really struggling. So uh, I could definitely see it as a good comparison between uh, both having the right head coaches, Mike Cavanaugh, in uh, in Hartford, in which they are having, they did announce fairly recently plans for a new arena. I'd like to see it be a little bit larger than what they announced. I think it was only a four thousand person something seat uh, new arena in stores, but it, it's a good thing that they'll have an on campus arena and they'll still play some of their big games, like when BU or BC come down. They'll play at the XL Center. I think it's an apt comparison between the two of them, but there is that difference of the highest talent that Amherst can boast, which UConn doesn't quite have. But everything else I definitely see uh, matching up pretty well. Well, now that we're we're back to the last week in college hockey, Chris, what would you say is the game of the week? Because there were a lot of contenders for that, I think. There were some really good hockey games this last weekend. But what would you say would, would be your pick for game of the week? Um, I might be a little bit biased in my, uh, the games that I went to, uh, I was at the, the, uh, Saturday matchup between RIT and Lowell, which was very entertaining. And, uh, I was at Amherst putting on a show against RPI. So, uh, but my, for my money, the series between BU and Mankato were entertaining and down to the wire kind of affairs. 
though, I would uh, I would put my money on those matchups. So four to three win for Mankato on Friday, and four to three and five to three rather on Saturday. I'd put my money on the Mavericks and Terriers, despite the fact that my my Terriers ended up losing both of those games. But not a lot of shame. Apparently, they just don't have uh, the Mavericks number for whatever reason. Well, and I think it's a bit of a statement game for the Mavericks, a a team that had a really good season last year. People were wondering if they could keep it up. And in this early going, they, they look a bit relentless in their approach because in that first win, that, that, that four to three win against Boston university, they took 35 shots compared with 24 for Boston University. That's how you beat a really good goalie like Jake Ottinger. You just have to keep peppering him. Well, and in the, that second game as well, it was 31 to 31. And it was a weird momentum turning game because uh, 14 to 6 were the shots in favor of the Mavericks in the first period. And 3 to nothing was the score after the, uh, after the first period. BU tied the game. In the second period, they scored three goals uh, before the end of the frame, but Mankato with Charlie Girard putting the uh, nail in the coffin scored with one second left on the clock in the second period, and they got an empty netter late. So this was a really entertaining series. I wish I were able to watch it in more detail. And also, by the way, when you say... Uh, people were wondering if they could keep it up. I, I think we mean me because I raised that question on this podcast. So, uh, well, and, and it's <laughs> it's not an uncommon thing to say. It's it's much like well, we'll we'll talk about some other schools throughout this podcast that might have been expected to maybe not have quite the same team they had last year and are looking to get off to a hot start to prove that what they have this season is every bit as good. And Minnesota state I'd say is at the top of that list because they're in a tough WCHA. We saw, even though they were swept themselves this weekend, Michigan tech put up quite a fight against a really good Duluth team. Well, they had the benefit of hosting that game. So uh, that, that whole series and uh, the McInnes, Student uh, student ice arena is not exactly kind. But wow, 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 did their goaltender have to do a lot of work. And wow, 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 did Hunter Shepard, at least for that last game, he didn't have to do any work. He faced, a, he faced 13 shots in total for the second game and gave up two goals still. And uh, Duluth outshot them 38 to 13. So at least for that second game, that offensively is kind of a ragdoll situation in which they just ran the show for a not small amount of it but at least the first game was a was a really close one it was a two to one affair so i think michigan tech has more to work with and also they won the shot total for that game 33 to uh to 27 then hunter shepherd with only one goal allowed so you know so much for me offering criticism for him not having to face a whole lot of pressure well, goalies but, uh, will tell you that up and down that some of the hardest games are the ones where they don't face a lot of shots because goalies can kind of relax a little bit when they're not doing that. And then suddenly for that few minutes in a game, the action heats up and it gets tough for them. 
I I've heard that from goalies in the past. I'm sure that's part of what happened to Hunter, Hunter Shepard, but you'd still expect a better performance with such a low shot total, especially after a night like he had Friday night. I mean, it's just kind of a weird weekend. You go up into, uh, you go up into hostile territory. I'm not aware exactly if there's any real long-term, uh, long-term kind of bitterness between Duluth and Tech, but they're both, uh, they were both WCHA schools for a while, so I could imagine that there might be at least some residual bitterness from when they were in the same conference against each other. But, you know, uh, at the very least, they got an entertaining round of weekends, and but really, the second period from the from the Saturday game was a show of uh, Duluth is better than Tech right now. I just hope that Tech finds ways to uh, ways to improve as the season goes on. And using it as a pivot point, uh, Boston College hit. I might be uh, inclined to hit the panic button for uh, for the Eagles because they needed to at least put on a better showing than what they did in Wisconsin this weekend and. Uh, we're going to be talking about them not having an out-of-conference win in a couple of years until they get an out-of-conference win. Yeah, that's a that weekend for Boston College, it was brutal, especially on a night where they score five goals. They have a great goalie themselves in Joseph Wall. He had a really rough night Saturday, giving up seven goals in the call center for a 7-5 to five Wisconsin win over BC to complete the sweep. They won the first game 3 nothing because their goalie, Jack Berry, stood on his head for a little bit, facing 14 shots in the third and not giving up a single goal. It It's one of those where you wonder, because BC's had so many troubles in out-of-conference games, so I think it, you're right, it might be time for them to hit the panic button just in terms of it's the same pattern. They need to get out of that funk in these out-of-conference games because that submarine their season last year, and it's a thing that they've really got to contend with. But then you also have to look at how good Wisconsin was in this series. Maybe we were a little soft on them coming into the season. That's going to be a good team. I mean, in part, I think we've been soft on them because – Wisconsin hasn't made the NCAA tournament since 2014, and to my best of my memory, I don't think they've won an NCAA tournament game since making it all the way to the Frozen Four in 2010. So it's a program that has a lot of history to its name. I mean, six national championships. I think that's uh, that's fourth or fifth. Uh, yeah, that's fourth right after Michigan with nine, North Dakota, and uh, Denver with eight each. And then Wisconsin with six. They're ahead of BC, Minnesota, and BU all with five each. So that's a program with a lot of history to its name and and against a school which they've had a lot of battles with throughout their history. But it's a program, the Badgers, that has gone really quiet and one that was dormant last season and has been for a little bit. So I understand why. Uh, and it's a conference in the Big Ten that sent three teams to the Frozen Four last year, one of whom in Ohio State is the pretty universally considered number one team in the nation, and the other one, Notre Dame, is the is uh, generally the universally considered second best team in the nation for now, anyway. So I understand why Wisconsin wasn't getting as much praise, but 
they looked it pretty well early on. So I I guess time will tell if the Badgers uh, can keep up their performance. But time will also tell if BC, because they've got two more out-of-conference games before uh, the meet of their Hockey East schedule begins. Those are against Quinnipiac on Friday night in Hamden. And Thursday, I should be at the uh, Thursday night game when they're hosting St. Cloud State, but they need one of these two games in order to show that they can actually win outside their conference because this is going to be one of the defining pieces of their season, whether they like it or not. And having to beat St. Cloud, if they get to the point where they really need that win, that's a position no one wants to be in in the country right now. St. Cloud State, of course, looking good in the early going. They were one of the preseason favorites. They had a treacherous trip to Alaska. We've talked about those travel miles at nauseum on this podcast. They swept at Anchorage, so they had a really good weekend there. They're going to be a tough team for anyone, especially a BC team that might be reeling. So they need that win in Hamden. They need to beat someone. They need to beat anyone out of conference, and Quinnipiac is a game they absolutely should win. They should. I think they have more talent than the Bobcats. I, again, they've struggled on the road. They've struggled outside of Hockey East, and you know, uh, not Anchorage for uh, for uh, St. Cloud's recent victory. It was a trip to play the Danukes in Fairbanks. So I yeah, I apologize to the Alaska schools. I get them mixed up all the time. Yeah, I do as well. Which I at least appreciate the fact that their mascots, the Danukes, awesome mascot, and the Sea Wolves. Awesome mascot. Get a little bit more creative. There's there's a lot of Huskies. I think St. Cloud, Michigan Tech, Northeastern, and UConn. There's four Husky schools off the top, just off the top of my head. We could do with a little bit more variety. Anyway. I would offer that Northeastern's been the Huskies for longer than any of those other schools, except maybe St. Cloud State, if I'm if I recall correctly. But they've been the Huskies for over a hundred years. So they beat Connecticut to it. I know that much. <laughs> but but yeah, I agree that the Alaska schools have some great names. Fairbanks with the Nanooks, um, the the most Frank Zappa team uh, approved team in college hockey. It's beautiful. It it's absolutely beautiful. I mean, at least Wisconsin with the Badgers is pretty unique, and uh, uh, Minnesota is the Golden Gophers. You don't hear many other people. I mean, come on, Duluth Bulldogs, you could do a little bit better than uh, than just that. Granted. BU's mascot is a terrier, and terriers are little yippy dogs. Those are not intimidating at all. It only works because there's a thing called the Boston Terrier. At least it works for creativity with namesake, but terrier is not an imposing threat at all. Yeah, yeah, the lap dog doesn't necessarily um, bode well, but. But it does well with their conference because at one point I used to joke that the America East was the oddly named dogs conference. I can't remember who's still in America East. I know that BU's not. They're in the Patriot League now. So that that entire tangent is completely rendered null by the fact that BU left America East almost as long ago as Northeastern did. Well, it was a nice tangent while it lasted, but... Uh... Yeah, it was a nice tangent while it lasted. Back to hockey. And- you know what? I've got to say the weirdest weekend last week had to belong to Notre Dame. 
they're going to get a tie for that first game in the Icebreaker Classic. Of course, they you have to get someone has to win in a tournament format, but it's going to go down as a tie because they finished an overtime period with no one in the lead. Six to six, Notre Dame against hosting Mercyhurst. Now, Mercyhurst was at home effectively, but that's a game Notre Dame's going to want back. Yeah, especially Cale Morris did not have a great day. It should be noted, Colin DeAugustine was excellent. He faced 48 shots from the Fighting Irish and really held his team in it with 42 saves. I mean, particularly, there were a couple different guys who had uh, had wicked games going. Cal Burke had 10 shots uh, just by himself, and Joe Wegworth had seven of them. So... There's a lot of Notre Dame offensive forces on this team offensively, and DeAugustine held his team in the game. So give them all the respect in the world for uh, the way that they handled themselves. But Cale Morris, six goals allowed on 31 shots. And from some of the highlights that I got to see, some of these goals were not exactly brilliant. So, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and assume that this was a uh, – uh, case of the early season yips that uh, that might come back and hurt them a little bit in the uh, in the later on stretches of the season when we get to the pairwise and they could have won that game, but at least they showed that uh, they could put on a really good performance against a Providence team that can still struggle with offense. I'm kind of shocked to see that. Providence is still having trouble scoring, especially with some of that freshman talent that they infused into their forward core. Shut out by Providence, three goals against American International in their first game and four against Miami, which, I mean, at least they got the four against them. But I really have to wonder about Providence's early offensive ability. So throw them on the list of weird weekends. But Definitely Notre Dame. At, at least they have plenty of good things moving forward that they can build off of. That was a great defensive game between Notre Dame and Providence. A grand total of 42 shots between the two teams. Hayden Hockey, who we've talked about as not only one of the better goaltenders in college hockey, but probably the best name in college hockey. He stopped 17 shots. It's it's tough to say that's a rough game for him. 17 out of 20. It doesn't look good on the stat sheet, but those were good goals from Notre Dame. That's a tough game. Someone's got to lose it. And Cale Morris only faced 22 shots. He stopped all of them. So he got back on the horse, but that was a really good defensive game. And that's almost as alarming. Not only is Providence having a little trouble scoring early on, but when you're having trouble scoring, you have to be able to win those tough defensive games. And Notre Dame had them from the second period on. And it's worth noting that Providence had this same problem last year. After beating Northeastern 3-2 uh, in overtime for the Hockey East semifinals, 2-0 loss to BU, 1-0 win over Clarkson in which they did a very good defensive job, and their defense won, but their offense didn't do a whole lot. And then a 2-1 to one loss with against Notre Dame in the regional final. Last season, at least as it waned on, they 
very heavily struggled to get offense. And I thought that Providence had infused a bunch of really, really good young and uh, quality talent, people like Jay O'Brien and Jack Dugan into their, uh, into their offensive threat. And really we didn't see a whole bunch of them. I mean, I could hope that these guys were uh, O'Brien for whatever it's worth was a minus one Wilkins, a minus one uh, Spencer young, a minus one. And, you know, I just don't really see how uh, I just don't really see the best uh, opportunities for these guys unless they get some more offense. This should be one of the best teams in the country, but they've got to score more goals. So I will hold out on uh, offering a ton of praise. Like a lot of college hockey people are heaping a bunch of praise on Providence for uh, their skill. I'll wait until I see some real offensive development from the Friars before I keep it upon them. I think it's playing out in a way that's going to make, if, if these early season results are to be believed, and we shall see with that, it's still very early and hockey is not a sprint of a sport. But if these early season results are any indication, Hockey East could be such an up-in-the-air conference that almost anyone could win it because you have Boston University playing those really good games against and Mankato, but falling in both BU still or BC still struggling out of conference. You've got Providence who might be struggling to get shots on goal, which is always a problem. And then you have the rest of the conference that they're they're still looking to get in. So you know, Northeastern took care of business against Sacred Heart, but it's against Sacred Heart. We'll know much more about the Huskies this weekend because they have one of the headline series of this weekend when they host union and we'll get into that when we get into what comes up next this coming weekend with some fantastic games on the schedule but just to close out our thoughts on this last week any other games that really stood out any other weekends that really stood out to you i thought air force had a very bad weekend uh, in the people that we had considered for uh, potentials for uh, for real improvement and for gaining our attention, I thought Air Force very heavily underwhelmed against the uh, the Colorado schools. Four to one against Denver and six six to two against Colorado College. That's really bad. So I can only hope that uh, well. Worth noting that uh, in the Denver game, it was 26 shots that they faced, and Billy Christopoulos didn't exactly have the best game. Four goals allowed, 22 saves made. And Air Force, as they did in the NCAA tournament, uh, struggled, as well, I should say, in the last game in the NCAA tournament, which I think they only got 12 shots on goal for the whole game. They struggled to create offense. So I'd be a little bit concerned about that. And oh wait, the Colorado College game was six to one. But worth noting that your praise about Colorado College is worthwhile. They outshot Air Force twenty nine to eighteen and won the Pikes Peak Trophy back for the first time in a while. And Christopoulos was pulled from the net in that in that Colorado College game. So if I'm Air Force, I'm concerned. If I'm Colorado College, I'm very happy with that weekend. North Dakota had a rough weekend too. 
They they faced Bemidji State and they had no end to the trouble against Bemidji State. They took away one point from this weekend where they should have been on full display. The Fighting Hawks lost two to one at Bemidji State Friday night. And then on Saturday at home, they tied. They went into overtime. They exited without an extra score. So North Dakota, who really should have cleaned up this last weekend, did anything but. And it's a bit alarming in a conference like the NCHC where you can never take your foot off the gas. Uh, Yeah. Um, I mean, to be fair as well, it's not as if they uh, set that tone. They played in their exhibition game. For, I, I know it, exhibition seasons or uh, games are always worth taking with a gigantic grain of salt. But against Manitoba, over whom North Dakota was expected to run rough shot, uh, Fighting Hawks won three to two in overtime over uh, over Manitoba. So. I wonder if there's going to be some early season struggles and uh, some things to to work on because North Dakota is a hockey factory. It's one of those schools like BU, like BC, like uh, Duluth, where like Minnesota, where you're going to bring in top tier prospects and you have to integrate those guys in every single year. I wonder if this is one of those years where they're having to adjust and really make a big change for uh, uh, for a particularly new and I think sizable crop of freshman talent. I don't know, but that's about the only thing I could possibly think of for uh, why they struggled have struggled so mightily through their first three games. And my last thought on last week. We said the exhibition schedule; it, it really should almost be thrown out, but. Just for the sake of argument, because they had a weird weekend themselves, if they're, if the U.S. under-18 team were its own team in college hockey, where would you rank them? <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know, man. I don't know how you possibly include them in any bits of rankings. I, well, oh, wait, they, they have Jack Hughes? Well, he's pretty good, but uh, I don't know. It's impossible to rank to try to rank these guys with 6-3 victory at Michigan, 7-1 against Minnesota. Uh, and they're playing BU this week, so I'll know a little bit more, but uh, I don't know. It's just impossible to answer that question, man. Yeah, I I, I figured maybe it, it, it's, it's tough. It's, there are so many players on that team that yeah, it, it's it's really tough. I I just figured for the sake of argument, since they've they've done even better this year than they've done in exhibitions in the past. So there's something to be watched out or something to watch out for because that's a good tune-up in these exhibition games. I don't know how you know each school's going to use it differently. I'm sure, but if you use that as a tune-up, they're going to give you a game. So at the very least, it's a good way of testing out your players and maybe getting some fresh legs in because it seems like they're playing teams that have a couple guys on the U.S. under-18 team, so there are some, so to say, defections involved. 
Well, they're playing Boston University this week and uh, at Aganis Arena, so I, I think there will probably be one or two defection. And our first sighting of an Ivy League school because Harvard is playing the U.S. under-18s this week on Saturday. I'm not going to either of those games, but it's nice knowing at the very least that uh, there will be an Ivy League team on the ice this weekend, so get excited that the full breadth of the college hockey season is underway at least or soon to be underway you know and there is a slate this weekend there are some really good matchups some some things that just looking at it really stand out and I already kind of hinted at it the one I'm looking hardest at of course is Northeastern hosting Union. Northeastern looked really strong, but they looked strong against Sacred Heart, a team that, again, they're very much supposed to take care of business against. Whereas Union has clawed their way into the USCHO rankings. They're ranked number 20. So both of these teams come in with a number next to their name. This could be one of those prove-it weekends for both of these schools. It probably will be. I mean, I think Union did put on a really good uh, display against Nebraska-Omaha. So it's not against some schlub school. This is against an NCHC school that has contended and has put on really good offensive showings. Uh, 3-3 tie in the first game, and a 5-4 victory for Union in the second game. So uh, for whatever it's worth, I will be at the Friday game at which Northeastern, and this is going to make you very happy to hear, will be unveiling their banners for the Beanpot and Adam Gaudet's Hobie Baker Award and also for them playing in the NCAA tournament. So uh, it'll be a banner-raising night for Northeastern, and it'll answer some questions about whichever team uh, can put on a better showing and a better display, and I hope the doghouse is completely filled. It should be an entertaining team on the ice for, uh, for you guys this year. Yeah, this could be this could be a really fun one because Union likes to take a lot of shots, and you've already mentioned Northeastern likes to play that track meet style of hockey. So this is going to be what could be a very offensive series in these two games, but that means a lot's going to come down to the defense, and that's where I've been saying that if Northeastern is to keep it up, even after losing as many scorers as they lost after last season, it's going to come from Jeremy Davies and the rest of the Northeastern defense, and the blue line's going to need to step up. This is going to be a weekend to show it because Union is a relentless team, as they've always been. They just churn out scorers up there. I mean... If it's worth, uh, for whatever it's worth, it's not like Northeastern is also, don't don't forget, you still have your goaltender in Caden Primo, who he's a real rock-solid goaltender. Colin Murphy developed very nicely last year. Ryan Shea returns and fills nicely. And Eric Williams can hit people really nicely. And Jeremy Davies has a legitimate chance of uh, playing on on the world junior team, which our seventh round pick of the devils from back in 2016 for him to develop into a, uh, a world junior potential player from Saint Anne de Bellevue, Quebec. That's pretty remarkable. So I definitely see this Northeastern blue line having the potential to, uh, 
be able to make some noise against Union. And, you know, I think this is going to be a fun time. So I'm just curious to see. Uh, I'm curious to see if Jake Kupski can maintain his composure in the doghouse as well. Because this will be, for this season at least, this will be his his first uh, uh, his first road game because that matchup against Army and both Omaha games were in Schenectady and Northeastern when rocking and rolling as I expect opening night and opening weekend to be it should be rocking and rolling that that's at least what I would expect uh, out of out of these guys. Yeah, the doghouse sits right above the opposing goalie for the first and third periods, so. It's a rough place to be for a road game that you might not be used to. So it's going to be a test for Union. And again, it's going to be a test for Northeastern to prove that this talk of a drop-off might be a bit premature, but they're going to need to show that they can continue to find scorers. And I, I have a lot of confidence in that because they've always found scorers. But when you lose the guys they've lost, so... This is a big weekend for both of these teams. It's one of the headline matchups. Another one. We just talked about how North Dakota is kind of reeling early on in the season. Doesn't get any easier. They've got Minnesota State on Friday and Saturday in Grand Forks. So this is a big one. The Fighting Hawks have to get points here. Yeah, and in terms of ranked matchups, North Dakota is still a 16th-ranked team in the nation. Mankato is 7th right now. So this is one of those games where they've got to come up with some answers. And in part, they just need to score some goals. Um, And this will be a little bit of a sidetrack, but I noticed in a lot of uh, the games where I've been to this season, at least, and a bit towards the end of last year, I saw a lot of kids decide that they were going to look for the highlight pass instead of for the shot on goal when the right decision probably was fire it on the goaltender and get a bounce. I wonder if North Dakota is is doing something like that because through their first couple games, one goal against Bemidji State on Friday one goal against Bemidji State on Saturday. I just wonder if they need to think, shoot the puck more frequently. Mankato is definitely going to think, shoot the puck and pressure uh, pressure the net a little bit. So they're going to have to find some answers. And uh, I hope for their sake that they do because those Maverick forwards are not going to... uh, you know, go easy on uh, on on the Hawks at all. No, and I, I think you might be right about looking for the extra pass. Sometimes a loaded team, a team with as much talent as North Dakota has, you can let perfect be the enemy of good sometimes. You can look for that extra pass, look for the really flashy goal, but they don't award style points in hockey. Just get it in on net and talent will win out. Yeah, especially just 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 shoot the puck. I keep uh, I watched BU at some points, especially early last season, and I just thought, shoot the puck. You know, get it on net and pressure some people. Especially 
the the goaltending situation in Grand Forks is a really really interesting uh, position for them to uh, to be in. Ryan Anderson is the only senior in that trio. Adam Shields is a freshman, and Peter Tome got the start uh, against uh, uh, got the start in uh, game against Bemidji. So. I am pretty certain that uh, Mankato is not going to take it easy on these guys because WCHA is not, it can be pretty back and forth in speed. Michigan Tech has shown the ability to play like that, but it's physical, beat them up, get in front of the crease and make life hard on the goaltender style hockey in the WCHA. And they're going to take that into uh, NCHC territory. You can fully expect that they have the potential and the expectation of making it a greasy game against North Dakota, and they have to adjust to that. I I absolutely agree. Another team, another interesting matchup. It's not two ranked teams, but it it's very nearly two ranked teams. Minnesota Duluth, number three in the country, looking really good coming out of last weekend. They're going to be facing a main team that still has some really high hopes and thinks this could be the year they start to get back to where Maine and their fans expect that they should always be toward the top of those Eastern teams. If they're, if they're getting back, if they're on the road to recovery, this is a week where they could show it, but they're going to have their work cut out for them. Two games at Duluth. That's one of the toughest places to win in college hockey. Yeah, especially since uh, Maine started their season against St. Lawrence, which n- no disrespect to the good people up in uh, up in Canton, but St. Lawrence has really hit hard times lately. Three to one and four to one were the scores in favor of uh, the Black Bears at the Alpha on this past weekend. So going up into uh, the Amsoil Arena is a completely different challenge from I think pretty much everything else that Maine is going to face for the remainder of the season, except for possibly when they go down to Princeton uh, over Christmas break. But yeah, this is a potentially uh, season-turning thing because you even score a tie-off of Duluth in Duluth for a program that's really been dormant. Maine has missed the NCAA tournament, I think, every year since at least 2012. So this is a team that has a lot of potential. They need Jeremy Swayman, who uh, I think has the potential to be an eventual successor, at least to to Garask. He's a Bruins draft pick. I think they need him to basically stand on his head. And the blue line needs to adjust to not having uh, Patrick Hallway, who ended up leaving the program for uh, uh, last week for, I think, stuff for his family. So, Certainly hope that he's okay, and you certainly hope that uh, that uh, the team around him adjusts because that's a big piece. The blue line that's left, but Sam Becker, Alexis Binner, Keith uh, Rob, Rob Michael, Keith Mulebauer, and then up front, Chase Peterson and Mitchell Fossier are they wear C's and they've got the potential to make some noise. So I think that's a fun series to keep an eye on and. To, um, have uh, have some have some interest in I think. Another one in a very similar position is Amherst. If 
if it's a tough test for Maine to go into Duluth for two games, what they're facing going into Ohio State for a pair of games, it's like taking a midterm in a class you're not even enrolled. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds about accurate. Uh, so you go from facing RPI in a home-and-home home to traveling to play the number one team in the nation. I, I've said this before about uh, this Minutemen team. Cal McCarr is a superstar. He is, he's a, I think he's a potential for Hobie Baker Award caliber. And it's this kind of stage in which he could absolutely prove it. You don't even have to, you, you don't even have to win these games. I mean, if you get even a tie out of the Buckeyes, that's, that's really, 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 really good. Especially since uh, they're looking to have the pieces to make another run back into the tournament. Uh, because I think they were a young team that ran into a buzzsaw called the Duluth defense last year. And Mason Jobst and uh, Lazinski are real forces. So, yeah, throw that on the uh, on the keep an eye on it series and see what UMass goaltending could do because that was their problem last year uh, was that their offense could create some opportunities and their blue line could control the puck. But their goaltending at a lot of points last season was pretty weak. Matt Murray has developed, and if uh, they're going to make some noise against the Buckeyes, they're going to have to uh, lean on Murray to uh, to give him, give him some life. So that's just that's a fun series to pay attention to, I think. There's a lot of those this weekend. I would say it's kind of a put-up-or-shut-up weekend for a lot of teams, much the way that last weekend gave Minnesota State a chance to prove that there's not going to be much of a drop-off from last year, or at least in the early going, there doesn't look like it's going to be. A lot of teams have that in front of them this weekend. So it should be a fun one in college hockey. We are well into the season now. It's only been a couple of weeks, but we've got a full slate and it's only a little bit before we start to see those Ivies. We see Harvard in that exhibition game, but other than that, it's still going to be a little bit for them, but it's, it's college hockey season in earnest now. And there are some games that almost come down to must wins like BC having to beat Quinnipiac, they really need that win. And then, of course, Boston University trying to reassert themselves after a rough weekend where they played well but didn't take away any wins. They're going to have to go into Lawler Arena, and we've talked about that in the past, how tough that can be for Boston University and really for anyone in Hockey East. But this is not a time for a trap game. BU needs to come into this ready to reassert themselves. They're still the number 13 the team in the country, and they can act like it on Saturday at Merrimack. That's a big game for the Terriers. Oh, they slip out of the rankings if they end up losing that, uh, that game against the Warriors. I absolutely believe that if they lose that game, they either slip down to 20 or out because that's a game you probably should win. And you should be fully aware of uh, the reputation. This is not a uh this is a BU team that has uh that has a bunch of young players, but they have enough veteran leadership who's been here in net on the blue line and up front to know how to 
survive the traps of Merrimack. So if they end up losing this, which by the way, I'll be at that game. So I'll get to see the Terriers firsthand for myself. If they end up losing that game, they probably should fall out of the rankings. So a put up or shut up game for them, definitely a put up and shut up game or shut up game on Friday for, uh, for BC. And you know, Oh, and if we're going to talk about games, which uh, we probably should pay attention to for just intrigue purposes, I'll throw out one from the uh, from uh, Western consideration, St. Cloud and Northern Michigan, because uh, Northern is filed under those WCHA teams to keep an eye on, and St. Cloud is St. Cloud. It's two games uh, at the Herb Brooks Center, and the Huskies get to host uh, get to host Northern. So. Throw that on the consideration for the uh, interesting games this this weekend. I would agree. Best of luck to everyone whose teams are playing this weekend, except probably BC. And you can always follow this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Tim writes sports. You can follow Chris on Twitter at CC Lynch wall. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, and I mean this more now than ever, keep your head up and keep your heads clean.